So we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there or on your phone. Or you can just do what God's people have done for thousands of years, which is just open up your ears and listen. That is the preferred method that actually God gives for, for receiving his word. And uh, we're continuing to study these parables, which are ways that Jesus helps us see things that are invisible to our eyes. We just sing a song. I can't see him, but I love him. And Jesus is helping us to see things about who God is that we can't see with our naked eye. And uh, we all have ways of figuring out uh, what someone is really like. I don't know what your preferred method of figuring out what someone is really like when you meet them. In the last month, I have met lots of people that I knew their name or had met once, and then, you know, there was a worldwide pandemic, and now I'm getting to know them. And uh, maybe you're the person that's like, well, if they have kids, I watch how they interact with their kids. If I want to know what someone's really like, I watch how they interact with their kids or how they treat their pets, um, maybe. And, uh, or maybe you're like, I, when I play basketball with somebody, that's how I really know what someone's really like. Or I play golf with someone. Or maybe you use that time-tested tradition of stalking them for hours on social media and looking at their posts from 2009 to figure out what they were really like. Uh, in this passage, Jesus is telling the story to help us know what God is really like. And what he wants us to know is that God is very, very joyful. So our sister Susan's going to come up and read the scripture for us this morning. And as she reads this, I want you to be hearing that God is joyful, and in his joy, he seeks the lost, he rescues the lost, and he celebrates the found. Take it away. Amen. Amen. Sorry, that was not mocking your southern accent. Which, by the way, I said this in the other service, but when I was a kid, we moved from a very country place to the Miami area. And I learned how to speak one way at home and how to speak another way at school. So you don't even have to move out of the country to be a third culture kid. I definitely felt like a third culture kid. Not that you needed to know that. Um, as I read this parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, I am praying that the parable that we studied last week, that they, these words fall on the good soil in your hearts. Hear now the word of God from Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, 
There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father of us all, we praise you for your word. We've heard it, and Lord, we know that as many of us are in the room, uh, that's how many different responses we will have, uh, how many different levels of interest we will have, and intrigue. And Lord, but your word, the scripture, says that this is the words of life, that we receive life from hearing this word and it coming to bear fruit in us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be kind to each of us, uh, especially to those of us, Lord, that um, we have a hard time seeing how these things could be interesting. Um, Lord, that you would meet with us and that you would show us this life-giving word and that, Lord, by hearing this word, we would know that you are joyful, that you are smiling all around us and we will be drawn to you. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. God is very joyful, and in his joy, he seeks out what is lost. He rescues what is lost. And he rejoices and celebrates when it's found. Um, I don't know when, the, when was the last time that someone got angry with you for, for who you were eating with. Maybe it was high school or middle school when someone was shocked to find out that you were eating with her. Um, but it generally doesn't happen in our culture that people get angry with us about who we have over for dinner. Um, but what's going on in this story with Jesus is that there are people who are angry with Jesus for sitting down at table. Their children say, this is how you should turn out. These are people that have got things together. They know what's going on. They are living life to its fullest. Um, they are people of honor. And the scribes, they are like the Pharisees, but like the seminary professor version of Pharisees. So they're amazing, honored people, but they also um, are really smart about the Bible, take the Bible very seriously. Now, if you've been in church for a while, uh, you have seen this episode of Scooby-Doo before, and you know that at the, ep- the end of this episode of Scooby-Doo, that the, that the Pharisees and scribes who looked like the good guys, surprise, when they are unmasked, they will actually be the bad guys, right? Um, it's the end of every episode of Scooby-Doo. If you just watch the first 30 seconds of an episode of Scooby-Doo, you know how it's going to end up. But anyway, um, you, you may realize that the Pharisees and scribes are actually self-righteous jerks. But no one in their day would have thought that. And if we, uh, if we don't understand that, then we uh, run the risk of missing this whole, the, the power of this whole story. Every person in this culture would have seen these religious leaders as the ones who really get it. They took the Bible seriously and they lived the consistent lives that no one else seemed to be able to live. They were like the Instagram moms, you know, that never have laundry on the bed, right? And it seems like there's always natural light in the room at any time of day, right? And they're caring for their children's mental health when they're they're like six weeks old, you know? Um, People that are very consistent and seem like their lives are put together in a way that we all say, I may hate you a little bit, but I hate you because I wish I was like you. Now, on this episode of Scooby-Doo, you might also, if you've been in church, see the tax collectors and sinners as the surprise good guys, right? Who have been working for the good guys all along. But again, no one liked these people. Um, No one liked tax collectors because at this time in the history of Israel, 
Uh, Israel was occupied by an oppressive colonizing empire called Rome. And one of the ways that Rome oppressed Israel and, and, and crushed them was they charged these crazy high taxes that ensured that everyone was kept in poverty. And they would hire Israelites to collect the taxes from other Israelites because they knew how to go and get the money. And they encouraged these tax collectors to actually game the system so that they would become wealthy, so they would really like their job, and so they would do a better job at collecting taxes and get rich. Tax collectors got rich off their own oppressed people. Now, for all my Harry Potter people out here, the tax collectors are like Percy Weasley, if you're trying to find somewhere to put that, okay? Um, uh, one time I walked to my car and there was a parking ticket on my car, which is very, you know, ruins your day. And so it was, this is when I was at Appalachian and I, I got it, I took it and I was like, all right, I drove over to the parking office to pay the parking ticket. But before I went in, I looked at the ticket and I realized this is someone else's parking ticket. Someone else got a parking ticket and they took it off their car and they put it on my car because they wanted me to pay their parking ticket and it almost worked. But then I threw it on the ground and who knows what happened to that parking <laughs> ticket. Uh, <laughs> Let that be a warning to you, park it, parking ticket tax collector types. Um, but to get a sense of how emotionally charged this was, this would kind of be like a smuggler who charges thousands of dollars to a young mother and her young children to smuggle them across the border only to abandon them in the desert where they have no, choice, no chance of survival. Nobody felt good about having these people around. Um, if you've, there's a show called The Chosen, which is very good. I would recommend you watch it about uh, if you want to cry yourself to sleep every night. Um, <laughs> Luke, I'm so glad you're in the service. Um, but The Chosen is about Jesus' relationship with his disciples. And Matthew, who is one of Jesus' disciples and a tax collector, uh, is dis in the show is disowned by his parents. And when he goes to visit his mother, he finds out that his father's shop has been robbed. And when he offers to give his parents money, his mother says, your father doesn't want your blood money. It ran deep. These were universally scorned people. And the other sinners that are gathered around this table with Jesus while the religious leaders watched them were the kind of people that if you pulled up next to a red light and they were on the sidewalk, you would roll your window up that make you feel unsafe. They're the kind of people that if you saw them sitting at the pool, you would leave one pool chair buffer between you and them because you want to be nice to them, but you don't want your kids to be near them. The point is that nobody would accept these people. And Jesus isn't just kind to them, but he's eating with them. And in this culture, if you wanted to know what someone was really like, you watched who they sat down and ate with. Because Jesus eating with them indicates that he supports, loves, and in some ways affirms how they are living. Um, anybody, including the people in this room, if we were watching this, we would suddenly be thinking, I'm not sure how I can take Jesus seriously if these are the people that he spends time with. And so to people like us, Jesus tells this story. You know, he says about the, there's a, there's a shepherd, has a hundred sheep, and one goes away, and he says, wouldn't it go after, if you had that, wouldn't you go after the one and leave the 99? And the answer actually is no, because that's a terrible business practice if you're a shepherd. Because if you leave 99, you're definitely going to lose at least one after that. Um, not a good business practice. But what he's trying to get across is that to that shepherd, that sheep is very valuable and vital. The same for the, for the woman who lost the coin. She had 10 coins. Each of these coins is about one day's wage. I don't know how much money you make uh, in a day, but it, losing that amount of money would be significant. One time I dropped a $100 bill in Burger King. 
and I didn't realize, I don't know why I had $100 in Burger King. Um, I was buying a lot of Whoppers that day, I suppose. And I dropped $100 in Burger King, and I realized it later, and I went back, and I made them count the safe. I didn't find my $100. It was a devastating loss. Um, but for, the same is true for this woman. This coin is very valuable. This sheep is very valuable. And Jesus is saying the people at this table, they may be scum to you. They may be oppressors who deserve to be canceled. But they are very valuable to me. They mean something to me. And I'm here to look for them, and I intend to find them. Because Jesus values people differently uh, than we do. A few years ago, there was an article in Vanity Fair, which I found on the internet. I didn't read it in Vanity Fair, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> but it was, anyway, it was an article about the dating app Tinder. Uh, not that any of you have ever heard of it. And um, I was supposed to get a laugh. Uh, <laughs> and anyway, and um, about how these men on Wall Street would use Tinder to set up multiple dates on the same night at the same place, and then they would wait to see who the most attractive woman was so that they could ensure that, they, that they, they got together with that one woman and they would stand all the other women up. And there was a woman quoted in that article who said, it's rare for a woman of our generation to meet a man who treats her like a priority instead of an option. Uh, each of us, in some way, is familiar with that life of being an option and not a priority. And most of us believe that we only really have value when we're the best available option, when we're the best looking person at the bar. Uh, contrast that with a, uh, someone who is like a mentor to me as a theologian I really look up to. Um, I heard him telling this story one time. He has a daughter, and his daughter is one of the most exceptional people that you'll ever meet. She's insanely talented, smart, beautiful. But she was unmarried into her early 30s. And someone asked him once, they said, your daughter is... Uh, She's so amazing. How has she made it into her 30s and is still single? Um, which is a question that only gets asked in church, by the way. But um, maybe it gets asked other places. I don't know. And he said, uh, she's still single because she knows her worth. That she doesn't chase boys. That she doesn't trifle. Because she knows that she's really valuable to Jesus. And so she doesn't waste her time. Um, we often chase lovers who will not love us because we think it's the best we can get, because we don't know our value or the value of others. And that's how we get lost. That's how we run away, chasing um, things that won't give us life. And the question for us this morning is, are you lost? Have you lost track of where you're going? Uh, have you lost track of what matters? And if so, then Jesus is looking for you. You may have been in church for a long, long time, and you've lost track. Jesus is looking for you. Because Jesus seeks the lost, but he also rescues the lost. Uh, you can tell how much someone loves something by how much they're willing to give up in order to have that thing. Think about how much this shepherd in Jesus' story is putting on the line. Number one, he's risking 99 sheep, which is a lot more than one, if you do the math. Um, he's risking those 99 she sheep the sheep that's lost could be anywhere. He could be on a multiple-day journey that's full of dangers. He could be opening himself up to wild animals. The sheep could be dead. And when he finds the sheep, extensive Google research has told me that if you find a sheep that is lost, it will not just follow you or be, let you put a leash on it, but you will just lay down. 
and you have to pick it up and carry it. My dog sometimes get, gets out, and everyone's going to give me their advice on how to get my dog back in the house after this, That's, which is great, thank you. Um, but my dog weighs 100 pounds, and she often gets out, uh, because lots of people are always coming in and out the door. And I'm often in the front yard, and I have to go get my dog, because in Ardmore, you can't make it look like you don't have control of your dog, okay? Um, or else you become the person people don't want to sit next to at the pool. And um, so I run after my dog, and uh, in order to get her, I have to pick her up, but she weighs 100 pounds, and she's like a sheep, smells awful, generally, which is on me, not on her. And, uh, and I have to carry her back, but I'm generally not very excited about it, and I'm not very gentle with her. But what Jesus says is this shepherd goes, he finds what is at minimum, minimum 150 pounds smelly animal that is laying down. He may have to walk miles back with that, and he does the whole thing rejoicing all the way. He's ecstatic. Couldn't be happier. For this shepherd, it was all worth it. Because you can tell how much someone loves something by how much they're willing to sacrifice in order to get it. And we sacrifice to get what we want, too. We're always giving up things in order to get what we want. Um, we may give up our sanity to uh, make sure that our kids are okay. Um, you may give up a relationship, or even, even a long-term relationship, in order to be right. Uh, you may give up your health for a promotion because you're working so long. And now we might sacrifice for things that, that will hurt us, but the fact that we sacrifice to get what we love shows that we were created in God's image because that's exactly what he is like. What Jesus is showing is that there is no price that is too much to get what he loves, and what he loves is lost people. The thing that Jesus loves more than anything else that he will give up everything to get is lost people. Not people who have figured it out, not people who have met him halfway, but people who are desperately lost. I don't know if any of y'all saw in the news last week that there were some people that, had a, that were on an inflatable flamingo out in some lagoon. It looked beautiful wherever it was. And they were out on an inflatable, it was like a couple of people with their dogs on an inflatable flamingo and their inflatable flamingo was swept out to sea, um, which is tragic, um, which has got to be so terrifying because it's not even like you're in a boat, you're on a flamingo. Also how people were for multiple hours on a flamingo with dogs and it didn't sink, I don't know. Probably because they trim their dog's nails, which we don't. Um, don't cancel me, Ardmore. Um, but um, they had to be rescued by the Coast Guard, uh, you know, with the helicopter and the dogs are coming up in the basket and everything. And, like, those are people that are, just, uh, uh, there's no, like, arguing that you're not lost. Like, you just need to be rescued. There's nothing you can do about it. And Jesus is saying, those are the people that I love people that are swept out to sea on their silly flamingo and there's nothing that they can do about it. Jesus didn't just put himself in danger or work hard to rescue what was lost, but he actually says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What Jesus is saying is that this shepherd dies for the livestock because he thinks the livestock is more beautiful and valuable than his own safety. And if you can tell how much someone loves something by what they're willing to give up to, to get it, what do you do with God giving up his life for oppressors and for scum? People that you roll up your window to stay away from. For him, it was all worth it. Because then he throws a huge party. You know how much someone loves something by the size of their party as well and how much they celebrate it. Um, which I, 
that don't shade, if you're a father, don't shade your family if they didn't throw a big celebration. Chris said, if you really love something, you throw a big party. These are socks, you know. Um, but Jesus celebrates the found, and we'll, we'll end with this. Um, have you ever thought about God celebrating? Generally, we celebrate because something exciting happened that hadn't happened before. We generally don't think about God celebrating because we're like, well, God already knows everything. How could he be excited about anything when he knows everything from the beginning? But Jesus goes out of his way to make the point that for the, the shepherd that finds the one sheep, verse 5, when he, when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Apparently, his neighbors are supposed to think that's exciting too. Then in verse 10, the woman that finds the coin, she swept the house, she found it. Um, she, she calls together her friend saying, rejoice with me, I found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And Jesus says about the sheep that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 righteous persons that need no repentance. I wish that Luke had included the wink, you know, as if there are 99 people that don't need repentance. The party is for the one. The party is not for the 99. Which, at, which begs the question for us again, are you lost? Because suddenly, lostness is starting to sound good. Because if there's a party for the one and not for the 99, then the one starts to seem a little bit more appealing, doesn't it? What Jesus is driving us to this morning is the uncomfortable yet ultimately liberating conclusion that there are two kinds of people. There are people that know they are lost, and there are people that don't know that they are lost. But there's only lost people. Uh, there was a few years ago, there was a woman uh, who was found in Death Valley after having been in the desert for five days. Um, she had laid down next to her car and waited to die because she had followed her GPS that told her that going this way was certainly the way, and she continued to follow her GPS, even though all the signs around her showed this was not the way to go, until she ran out of gas and nearly died until she was found by a park ranger that happened just to notice some, tr some tire tracks going into a place where they shouldn't. Sometimes we follow a path that if we took an honest look around us, we would know is never going to lead us to life. It's never going to lead us to joy. And the question that Jesus has for us is, do you need to be rescued or do you have it under control? Have you got this or not? Uh, one of the ways that, that we might often think that we've got this, that we might say, you know, many people are lost and need to be found, but I'm okay, is, you know, we think to ourselves, self, you know, we worked hard, we saved, we made good decisions. Um, and, and that's really important to me. And that's why we ended up where we ended up. And it's good. I would, I would like to be on record to say it's good to work hard and to save and make good choices. I think my record is clear on that. But if it's central to your identity, it's central to your story, then you can't help but look down on people who you see as lazy. You only have to make the choice to do it. It just happens. Um, you can't help but to look down on people that have made, in your mind, foolish decisions. And in some way, if they're suffering as having gotten what they deserved. So joy is far away from you because joy and resentment and judgment can't live together. 
but also rest is far away from you because if it's what's central to your, your identity is that you worked hard and saved and made good choices, what if you have a bad day, make a bad choice, um, everything suddenly is at, uh, in danger of crumbling. So you don't have joy and you don't have rest. Uh, maybe you think, I've got this, because what is central to your story is a sense that you take the Bible seriously and you really get the gospel. You know, there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians. They don't really get it, but I get it. Maybe that's why you came to Redeemer in the first place. You're like, I went to places at this place, I heard the gospel, and they really get it. Or at least Redeemer used to get it. Now we're uncertain about whether Redeemer gets it anymore. But what happens is you can't help but to look down on those who just don't get it. They don't really understand the gospel like, like we do. Um, you can't live in joy with them and celebration with them because in some way you can't help but to look down upon them. And you can't rest because what if it starts to slip? What if how much you get it starts to slip? Or what if what you feel like your church starts to slip? Then everything suddenly is full of anxiety because the only sure path to joy and to rest is to be found by Jesus. To just lay down, to acknowledge that you are lost and to be found by Jesus and it gives you joy because he was smiling when he found you and so excited to celebrate that you were found. And he gives you rest because you can't screw it up. How do you screw up being found, being rescued? How do you screw up being pulled off of a flamingo float in the middle of the ocean? It's up to the person rescuing you. Interestingly, repentance in both, in both these parables when he says there's like one sinner who repents, simply looks like the thing lying down on the ground. The sheep lays down and is rescued by the shepherd. The coin can't even move. It's an inanimate object laying on the ground. Repentance looks like not interfering with being picked up in this passage. And for people who've got this, which is we're a room full of people who have got this well in hand, life with God often starts with stopping and resting, and being rescued. So the question before us this morning to ponder is if Jesus takes joy in finding the lost, then your joy can be in being found and being picked up. So are you lost? If so, Jesus is looking and he's smiling. Let's pray. Jesus, would you, uh, would you teach our hearts that you that you won't meet us halfway, that you won't let us get into the beauty of your kingdom and life, bringing all of our best and you just get us the rest of the way. But Lord, you come to take the dead and bring them to life. You come to find the lost and to restore them. Lord, we don't want to miss any of this because we feel like we've got it in hand. So Lord, would you teach us to lay down, to rest in your arms. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.